This is the Intergalactic Peace Coalition, precious. It's a podcast it is. By the fans, for the fans, they say. Precious has never heard of fans before. Gollum! Gollum! It's hosted by filthy hobbitses named Ben and Zack. But what about me? What about the precious? Well, you'll just have to come join us on IPC. Far to the east, over ranges and rivers, lies a single, solitary peak. The dwarves are determined to reclaim their homeland. I like visitors as much as the next hobbit. But I do like to know them before they come. Visiting. Mr. Baggins? At your service. Hmm? I'm surrounded by dwarves. What are they doing here? Oh, they're quite a merry gathering. So... This is the Hobbit. You asked me to find the 14th member of this company, and I have chosen Mr. Baggins. Me? No, 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 no. Hobbits can pass unseen by most if they choose, which gives us a distinct advantage. We will seize this chance to take back Erebor. Here, Mr. Bilbo, where are you off to? I'm going on an adventure. Mithrandir, why the halfling? Why Bilbo Baggins? Because I'm afraid. And it gives me courage. So this is your purpose? To enter the mountain? What of it? There are some who would not deem it wise. A dark part has found a way back into the world. Why don't we have a game of riddles? And if it loses, what then? Loses precious, then we eat it. <laughs> if Baggins loses, we eat it whole. Fair enough. I will take each and every one of these dwarves over the mightiest army. Loyalty, honor, a willing heart. I can ask no more than that. Home is now behind you. The world is ahead. This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast, also known as the IPC, and we are broadcasting live right here on channel 1138.com, and also dominating you through the power of Podbean, and, of course, iTunes and Google Play, and however you listen to podcasts, we don't care as long as you're listening and you're here with us, because we have another a glorious episode 
diving back into something that is uh, is pretty close and near and dear to our hearts that uh, I think you guys enjoyed the last time we discussed this franchise. We discussed three movies. It's been a while, actually, since we've been in this uh, Middle Earth, shall I say. And uh, so we're, we're glad to be returning to it and looking forward to discussing another film from this franchise. But before we get into it, all, of course, introductions are in order. If you are new to the program, my name is Ben, and joining me, as he always does, it is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Zach Arnold. Zach, what are you up to? What am I up to? Oh, man. How long have you got? You don't have to take that literally. I, I mean, I'm... I'm about to say, man, I've got so much going on and so many things on my plate. I'm just glad to be here. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, I hear you. I hear multi- you. Multitasking and adulting is not one of my favorite things, and so uh, it's it's really, really fun sometimes trying to juggle stuff, and then other times it's not. So I'll just, I'll just put it that way, but I'm excited to be yep. here. I'm excited to be making a return to Middle Earth. You know, you're right. It's it's been a while since we've uh, since we've been on this type of a trip. I'm trying to look at our schedule and see how long it's been. Uh, we did Return of the King back in February. Wow. So our discussion of Middle Earth happened way back in the early part of 2018, and now here we are kind of on the tail end of 2018, getting ready for 2019, and we're back to Middle-Earth. So I'm excited. Um, you know, the the discussions of the Lord of the Rings movies were long anticipated, and after we finished, people were like, okay, now it's time for you to talk about this franchise. And maybe they were joking a little bit, but when I said yes, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> you know? I actually... We do we do not joke around here. I, well, sometimes <laughs> Almost never, right? Like, this is such a super serious podcast. We never do anything related to jokes whatsoever. Um, But, you know, I'm probably one of the few people that actually really enjoys this franchise. I know a lot of people have a lot of complaints about it, and most of them are justified. But for the most part, it's fairly whimsical. It's fairly enjoyable. And there's a lot of good things that come out of it, in my opinion. So... I'm excited that for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be sitting down, going back to Middle-Earth, and talking about the three installments that came from The Hobbit. Yes, the Lord of the Rings prequel series, I guess, the the, the prequel trilogy of Lord of the Rings, if we can call it that. So well, the, We've already covered the original trilogy. Yeah, yeah, so these movies are a prequel trilogy, but The Hobbit... What it's based off of is one book. Mm-hmm, yeah. It's one book, and it's probably the easiest read out of all of the books that we've talked about. Because the Lord of the Rings books are huge, and they're long. They are enormous. Meanwhile, I've got a copy of The Hobbit, a leather-bound copy of The Hobbit, that's maybe like four inches tall by three inches wide, and it's a grand total of like 276 pages. Wow. That's maybe like half of the fellowship if that so the hobbit itself as a book is not very large and i think that's one of the biggest complaints about this series is that there's a lot of creative licensing taken in order to turn it into a trilogy when it honestly probably could have been okay as like a single movie or a double movie 
like a like a duology, but that's I I digress. There's there's a lot there's a lot of complaints that people may have from this book and this uh and, and this adaptation of the book is what I meant to say. But those are just some of the things that we're going to get to talk about over the next couple of weeks. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And as you said, we're going to be discussing an unexpected journey tonight, the first of the three films. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it a little bit later in the show. So please stick around for that. But before we get into it, let's let's discuss something that actually just came up. Oh, or, yeah. Like, this is pulling, pulling back the Pulling back the curtain, we were recording this on a Wednesday night, which we don't normally do. Dun, dun, but, dun. We had to, but normally speaking, sometimes we have to switch it up because our schedule are crazy. But recording this on the Wednesday night, and just a, like an hour or two ago, some massive Star Wars news dropped. Um, and of course, you can find this on StarWarsUnderworld.com, and I'll link it in the show description. But uh, we know we last week with Dominic, we talked about that upcoming live-action Star Wars series is going to be executive produced and written by the great John Favreau. Well, he just dropped a little morsel about it, a big, huge morsel about it. He revealed the title and a brief synopsis of the show. So, without further ado, the show is going to be titled The Mandalorian. That's a, that's a, Thing. I, I'm not going to bash the title. Yeah, surprise! It's the Mandalorian. Okay, it, I'm not going to bash the title just yet. I want to see the show. No problem. Um, but here's the synopsis. And this is this was actually posted to his Instagram, and where it says is, uh, "quote After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set." After the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order, we follow follow the travails of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy far from the authority of the New Republic, dot, 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 end quote. So we got a new Mandalorian on the scene that's going to be gracing the screens, and we've already got set photos and stuff like that. We've got um, some casting rumors about who might be playing in this. Apparently Pedro Pascal from Game of Thrones fame is apparently... In, at least in talks, if not has already been cast in the lead role, he may be playing this Mandalorian. Who knows? Um, but Zach, what, what do you think about all this? Are you excited? I mean, I was excited when I heard John Favreau was at the helm. You know, it, it, he is just such a powerful figure in the movie industry that anything he's oh, yeah. attached to ends up pretty dang good. You know, I mean, The Chef was an independent film that he did, and mm-hmm. it came out with rave reviews and it's got like a cult following behind it now he was the director for the live action jungle book which did amazingly well and i think it won uh an emmy or a or an oscar uh mm-hmm. and so i mean it's it's got some great stuff attached to it he was the director of the first iron man movie which kind of set off the mcu yep and he uh, he's actually got experience regarding Mandalorians from the Clone Wars as yeah. the as the voice of Pre Vizsla, the leader of the Mandalorians in the Clone Wars of the Death Watch. So I mean, there is nobody that I would consider more qualified to handle a task like this than John Favreau. So Absolutely. I mean, I I've been excited from the get go, but this just enhances the excitement. 
because now we have an idea of the direction that the show is going to go. Now we have an idea of how many episodes to expect after the rumors floating around that it's going to be in the eight to 10 region, most likely eight, uh, kind of a bold move in my opinion, but everything that's been built around this has ended up with some good vibes and I'm hopeful that those good vibes continue uh, if the if the filming is going to be starting up soon, I'd like to hear some official casting announcements so that we can you know discuss those people's backgrounds or maybe they're completely new to acting. Maybe they're completely new to the scene, like you know new discoveries. We can talk about that. But you know we we this really just kind of confirms a lot of the stuff that had been rumored previously. This idea that it was going to be uh, after the fall of the empire, before the first order. Um, it's going to be focusing on a Mandalorian that isn't by the name Fett. You know, there's there's a lot of elements in here that we were like, okay, I was kind of expecting that. But then to know that the story is going to be surrounding a single gunfighter rather than like a Mandalorian clan, that's going to be interesting to see. And he says that it's in the outer reaches of the galaxy. So it's like the outer rim and beyond potentially. We could end up seeing some classic planets like Tatooine, perhaps. I mean, the the Outer Rim is kind; it kind of runs through Tatooine. It seems like so. Yeah, and those set photos that we discussed last week look a lot like Tatooine. Yeah, they do. So, I mean, it's it's quite possible this kind of lines up with that, and you could see kind of a a gallivanting type here, where he's kind of going planet to planet, visiting Tatooine, whatever. And I kind of early on envisioned this show as like, oh, it's going to be set on Mandalore, you know, talking about whatever's going on with Mandalore, but maybe this is going to be kind of a character that's kind of all over the place, and we're going to see different worlds. And that's actually, I mean, that's that era after Return of the Jedi and before The Wars Awakens, that's where I'm interested in. I don't, oh, absolutely. I'm, tired, I'm tired of the original trilogy era. I am totally on board with going into this era. And it sounds a lot like Star Wars Underworld, not the website. The TV series that George Lucas was coming up with, um, which was going to be set between you know episodes three and four, and kind of you know doing dealing with the underworld, course underworld, underworld, whatever. This sounds way more interesting than that. This sounds like you're getting into this new era of Star Wars. We don't want to know much about it, and also dealing with the Mandalorian and like what implications does that have on like say Mandalore in general. Like what's going on with Mandalore? Like we saw the last time I saw them, they were kind of in the middle of a middle a civil war. So. Like, what's happened, and how has it affected this character? I think that's really intriguing questions. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the legacy of the Mandalorian people is in question. Uh, The fate of the galaxy is kind of in question as this new republic starts to emerge and tries to assert control. You know, how does that end up affecting this character and their lives? Are they connected to anybody prominent from the new republic, and there's, like, tension between them or something? There's a ton of different possibilities as far as how they want to direct the show. And that's part of what intrigues me is just the ambiguity that still remains. And uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's also really exciting to think that uh, there may be some connections to the Clone Wars, maybe some connections to Rebels to a certain degree. Because yeah. one of the other rumors circulating around this show is that the executive producer, the, the head honcho from both... The Clone Wars and Rebels, Dave Filoni, is going to have a uh, directorial role on a couple of these episodes, which is really cool because he finally gets to dip his toes into the live action scene. Yeah, exactly. And there's going to be multiple guest directors that are going to be coming in 
two thing. I can't remember any of their names right off the top of my head, but uh, it's going to be really interesting to see like Dave Floney, people like that, kind of step into the live action arena and do some stuff. So I think this show really could be something really great. I mean, we've, we've been waiting for a lot. We've had a lot of animation. Now it's time to get into some actual live action Star Wars on TV. It's going to be really interesting. Well, and this thing supposedly has a really big budget. And if they are condensing it from 10 episodes down to 8, they're getting to funnel more of that budget per episode, which could lead to some pretty fantastic spectacle. I am all for less episodes. I know. I'm a Star Wars fan. I should say more. But with these type of series, look at Iron Fist Season 2. That was going to be my prime example right there. There you go. There you go. There you go. Iron Fist Season 2 was a perfect example of less episodes equals more, equals better content. They don't have to. I think Netflix tried... Netflix tried way too hard with the Marvel shows to meet the quota of each season has 10 or so episodes. Just do whatever the story needs and don't worry about that. I hope, like the first live-action series, just tell a story and just do it over eight episodes. Don't try to do 10 or 12 or 22. Like, it kind of worked with Clone Wars Rebels. I get it. But at the same time, it leads to just this bottoming out in the middle of the season where you're just not interested in what's going on. Well, see, I will admit that I think 10 is a nicer, more rounded number because the the 10 episodes that encompassed each season of Game of Thrones seem to work really well. Right. And so if 10 episodes worked for Iron Fist and if it worked for, you know, six seasons of Game of Thrones, I'm probably more on board with the with the 10 episode boat, but if they are doing 8 those better be, like, longer than an hour. They need to be between an hour and an hour and a half for me. Just because if I think we're getting fewer I, episodes, we need a little bit more from each episode. And I think, I don't know if they'll be an hour and a half, but I definitely think they're going to be at least an hour because you're talking about streaming service episodes versus, you know, like, live TV episodes. Vastly different. An hour on oh, yeah. TV is not an hour. It's not a full hour. It's like 46, 47 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Whereas streaming service, they can be shorter because they don't have to meet that quota, but they can also be longer because they don't have to worry about putting in commercials yep. or cutting stuff out of the episode. You're getting the full stuff. Yep. So that's a great thing. Yeah, man. I mean, this is this is a great step in the next process of this, and we're expecting it sometime in 2019. So, I mean, I'm just going to be kind of trudging along, waiting for any new news to come out for the rest of 2018. And then when 2019 rolls around, I'm going to have plenty of different reasons to be hyped. That's for sure. I'm so ready. I feel like... Like, I mean, 2019 is going to be peak of of Star Wars for us. Because we're going to have the animated show with Resistance in full swing. We're going to have The Mandalorian. And we're having Episode 9. And who knows what else may get announced sometime in 2019 saying, oh, hey, by the way, fall of 2019, you're going to get this as well. Like, who knows? Yeah, exactly. It's like there's so much going on, and you have people like, oh, well, I didn't care for Last Jedi. I'm not excited for Episode Nine. Well, guess what? There's a theme park. Guess what? There's a live-action series. Guess what? There's another season of an animated show. Oh, like, shoot, you're for right. Everyone. Galaxy's Edge comes out next year too, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, we'll be well into Season 2 of Resistance, assuming that gets to Season 2. Um, of I think the game, the Jedi game that's coming out, that's going to be coming out next year sometime. Oh, so, is the is the Darth Vader VR game coming out this year or next year? That's next year too. Yeah. 
There's a lot. Two games. Two games. There you go. So Battlefront so 3 2019. Don't put it past them. They could do that too. <laughs> it's entirely possible. I mean, they've been plugging them out every two or three years or so since the first one came out. Yeah. yeah. It's entirely but possible. But this, is, stuff. this is an exciting time for the Star Wars franchise. And honestly... I know this may sound like heresy, but I'm probably more excited for the Favreau Mandalorian series than I am for Episode Nine. That's I, that's perfectly fair. That's I mean, perfectly the, fair. I mean, like, it's not it's not like I hate the show or I, or I hate the characters or anything like that. Believe me, I I love Poe and Ray and Finn and Hux and Kylo. Like, believe me, I I love those characters, those new characters, as much as anyone. But I am just really really intrigued with this concept of new. You know, there's going to be new characters, a new director, a new part of the universe, a new franchise, and we're basically getting a story that's fleshed out in a way that it's almost going to be like eight mini feature-length films, you know? Yeah. So we're going to get eight of these stories instead of just one. We're going to get two, three, four times the content we usually get from a single movie, but it's going to have the production budget of essentially a movie. So I feel like there's just a bit more to be excited about from the Mandalorian, but maybe that's just my obsessive, super excited fanboy energy rubbing off on me. I don't know. <laughs> nah, that's uh, great. It's so great. And we, we've all got something to be excited about, and that's, that's all that really matters right now. Well, you know, if we do end up seeing Episode Nine in California, you know, you know that you know that you know whoever assembles in L.A. is going to freaking Galaxy's Edge while we're there. Oh, we got to. Like, that's a given. So, like, we're going to have, like, the total immersive Star Wars experience, because by then we'll have... Season 1 of The Mandalorian out, which we can watch, you know, on loop at whoever's Airbnb we're staying we're gonna at. Watch, we're going to watch Season 1 of The Mandalorian and Resistance Seasons 1 and 2 while in Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, I could do that. I've got unlimited data on my phone. So do I. There you go. <laughs> I'm totally doing that. Also, Watch Star Wars in Star Wars. Also, quick side note. I just recently joined my family in cutting the cord. Ooh, you you done you done did it. I done did it. And this is a this is like just a brief little personal announcement more than anything. Um but we we now have unlimited data on our phones, which is amazing because I can watch YouTube videos anywhere anytime. I can watch Netflix anywhere anytime. And now because we cut the cord I have access to TV channels on my phone anywhere, anytime. Nice. Because my dad did his research, and I did some along with him, and we found out that the best option for us was something, a little something out there, called um, PlayStation View. Oh. Have you ever heard of it? I don't think so. It's a service that Sony came out with that started with the PlayStation system and kind of grew and evolved into a television service that you can use on your Roku, 
on your Apple TV, on your Amazon Fire Stick, or your Fire TV box, but it's also an app that you can get on your phone. It's available in the App Store and the Google Play Store, and you can select a service online, and depending on what service package you get, it guarantees a certain number of channels that you can stream through those different devices, like your Roku or Apple TV. It comes with a cloud DVR so that you can record your shows while you're away, but it also gives you live TV channels based on the package that you pick up. And the prices are pretty fair. There's like three tiers, and we chose the medium tier because it included all the sports packages because we're big sports fans. <laughs> and the, the medium tier only costs like about 45 to 50 bucks a month. Mm. which is wow. a lot cheaper than cable or than most yeah. than, a lot cheaper than most cable anyway. And the cool thing that my dad really enjoys about it is since we have a Amazon fire stick, he now has PlayStation view, which is his channels, his TV channels. He's got Netflix, Amazon video and Hulu all coming from one device. And uh, I've got the same thing going on over at my house now because he shared the login with me and I get to watch TV whenever I want. Thanks to my Alexa, I can I can literally just say something like Alexa tuned to Fox on PlayStation View. Bam, whatever's on Fox, it'll show to me. It's really cool. And so all that to say, I've got unlimited data. So I can stream whatever the heck I want, <laughs> including live TV now, thanks to PlayStation View. Nice. So whenever we are stuck in line at Galaxy's Edge somewhere, as long as I've got a decent battery and a decent signal, I'm watching whatever the heck I want, dude. Boy, yes. I am down. It's going to be fun. It's going down. I'm yelling timber. Down, 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 down. That's Sorry, th- those those are those the only those are the only words that I know. <laughs> usually it's that's only totally two songs. U- usually know. usually that's enough to get people to tell me to shut up. So I really didn't bother learning anything else from the song because I'm like, as soon as I start singing, it's going down. I'm yelling timber. There's somebody in the room going, "Oh my God, stop!" No, please, God, stop. <laughs> Pretty well, much that steep roll. No, please, God. Yeah, basically. But I don't think that's what the listeners are saying about our conversation right now. I don't think they want us I, to stop. I think oh, they I would hope not. I think they want us to start our discussion of The Hobbit, an unexpected yes. journey. Now, here's the here's the really cool thing about what we do on this show is sometimes uh, for for one or the other or for both of us, it can be our very first time watching the movie. We've basically been doing that with the Harry Potter franchise, watching the movies for the very first time, getting on and talking about it. I have the uh, the fortunate pleasure of owning all three Hobbit movies on DVD, so I just popped in the disc and, and watched it last night. And uh, you, I believe, watched it for the very first time either yesterday or two days ago. Am I right? I watched it at the start of this week. Yes, I did for the very first time. Did you did you see journey. it like all the way through, or did you like have to stop and start? I actually, I actually said. I guess this this speaks to how much I did enjoy this movie. I didn't 
I like I started early enough that it wasn't like, oh god, it's two in the morning, I've got to stop. Like I still, it was late when I got done, but like I was wanting to finish it. Like I was like, okay, I'm I'm in this, I'm in the mood. And it's hard to it's hard to restart movies. Like I don't like a lot of times I won't like start a movie if I don't know I can finish it because restarting a movie in the middle kind of you like lose the mood of it or whatever. It's a weird yeah. thing with me. Yep. So like. I just, like, I want to get it over with. I just did it. And, and it sounds bad like that, but, like, I, I genuinely, like, I was into it. I wanted to finish it. And I did. I sat through it the whole thing. I did watch, I believe I watched the theatrical version, which is slightly less than, slightly south of three hours, whereas the, the extended edition is a little more than three hours, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. Uh, I don't I don't know the exact minutes off the top of my head, I'm afraid. I'd have to look the ver- it up. The version I watched was l- just a just a tad under three hours. Um, that sounds about which right. Fine, which was fine, but uh, yeah, and I enjoyed it. So, uh, initial impressions. Then, like, what were your overall thoughts based on on what you saw from this? Your, your spoiler free reaction before we get spoiler filled for the rest of the night. Sure, sure. Because I mean, these are newer films, and I know the book's way older. But, you know, if you haven't seen it, you don't want it spoiled for you. And I understand that. Um, for me, I came away I, I came away enjoying it. I want to see more. Um, I do have, you know, questions, comments, some snide remarks, um, and just some general, you know, criticisms of the movie. I don't think I I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you did. <laughs> and this was this was the this was not your first time watching it, right? No, 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 not by now, a long Now, you had shot. not seen, but you had you seen Lord of the Rings previously? Uh, yes, yes. When we did, okay. when, when we did, when we did the Lord of the Rings review, I'd I'd seen this, the franchise through uh, a couple of times. Why am I blanking on that? Of course, you had seen them. I was the newbie in that crew. I'm so used to us watching things together for the first time that I forgot that Lord of the Rings was something that oh, dude, I was the only one. I've out of I've ventured to Middle Earth almost more times than I can count. Well, that's great. Like, well, that's I, great. I, would, I would live in Rivendell if I could. So would I. My God, that place is just, gorgeous. Just saying. I would live in Rivendell. And I will say. I'd live in the mines of Moria, and if it wasn't getting burned up all the time, I'd probably live in Old Town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the visuals in this movie itself are stunning. Oh, I yeah. I think it definitely, it definitely is a step up. I mean, Lord of the Rings, the first one, was was groundbreaking in a lot of ways, from Gollum to all the stuff that they did with that. Like, it was a film that, you know, there is some just gorgeous shots, but this film is a bit... It's newer, of course. It's a bit cleaner. In some ways, there was, like... There's one shot I remember thinking, like, that looks CG to me. Like, there was this one pan out of this huge countryside it was beautiful but it felt not as real whereas i remember specifically looking at like lord of the rings like there's certain shots where i think it's in fellowship where they're running or maybe in the next movie where they're you know it's gimli and legolas are running across the countryside and you can tell it's there's nothing there's no special effects it's just them real countryside new zealand wherever it's filmed um and it's all them so there was a couple shots that I'm like, ah, I think maybe they're pouring on the TGI a little bit too much, but at the same time, it was gorgeous. You get some really cool settings. You get some old stuff. Of course, they're kind of drawing on the nostalgia of kind of Lord of the Rings. But yeah. also, yeah. you get some new stuff. You know, I like the inclusion of the rock monsters. I like that. I feel like a really kind of 
Tolkien-esque element that we hadn't seen before, and it was really cool. And then kind of getting more into the Goblin and stuff like that. Like, it's a really fun thing. It's long. That's I think maybe that's my main criticism with all these movies is that they're long. They are super long. <laughs> and maybe maybe you know if you're into this and if you're if you love if you absolutely love Lord of the Rings and you're invested in this universe, like I totally get it. I'm that way with Star Wars. I could take a three hour, four hour Star Wars movie, no problem. But you know, for me, it's it does get a bit tiresome at times. To me, I feel like. Especially this movie, to me, it feels like you could have maybe like pulled back on just a little bit. It could have been closer to maybe two hours in length, to me. And that's just me. That's just my feeling. I know there's someone out there could that could you know tell me in each and every way how I'm wrong about that and how each part of this movie is important. You can't take it out. I understand that. That's just a personal feeling for me. And I do. I also like. I like the setting. I like going back and doing with 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 Bilbo and getting more backstory with him and um you know having the older characters and newer characters show up like it's great. Um one criticism I do have is that like the dwarves I like all their characters but none of them really stuck out to me as memorable. Okay. After at the end of the day, like the only one is the, the lead one. I can't remember his name right now. But you mean Thorin? Thorin. There you go. Like Thorin Obviously, great character. I love Thorin. Um, I love how he plays off against Bilbo. Like, I like that relationship. I like what's happening with 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 Gandalf and all this kind of stuff. And the other wizard, I can't remember his name, but like, all that's great. But the other one just kind of fade into the background, and you don't. They're not that. I can't remember any of their names. I don't know if they said their names or not. But like, think maybe that'll change in the future movies. I've only seen like you know one third of this story, so. It's not really fair to judge it at this point, but that's just my initial first impressions upon seeing this film. It, it can be a little overwhelming. I'll grant you that because they just kind of expect you to maybe have read the book so that you know right. the names and then you get excited about seeing them on the screen. Um, I will say there are some connections and some tie-ins that you may need to be on the lookout for in future movies. I'm not going to spoil right. anything, but there are even more connections than than what you saw in this one. Like, obviously, Saruman showing up in the middle of the movie was a big deal, and yeah. um, seeing Gandalf before he became Gandalf the White, you know, that was, that was a pretty big deal, was just seeing what kind of adventures he had before Lord of the Rings came around. You know, there's, there's definitely plenty of reasons to see, like, the homages and the, and the references that are made kind of preluding the other adventures. But at the same time, you have to kind of appreciate this adventure for what it is. Yeah. And yes. and that's that's really like the biggest word that I can take away from this movie is it's an adventure. And I love the, the, the gif that they use. Um, it, it shows up in my Facebook feed, in my Twitter feed a lot, where he's, he's carrying the contract and, and Bilbo's got the, the contract in one hand and he's got like his backpack slung over his shoulder and he's running away from Bag End and he's going, I'm going on an adventure! <laughs> like, he's so excited about it after he was so hesitant before. And that, that, that upbeat music and, and his upbeat nature just kind of got me excited for the rest of the film. Like, this isn't... This isn't some big. Uh, this isn't some big quest to 
to save the world as we know it, kind of like what the fellowship was, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you feel Floor this, stakes. you feel like this, this pressure of the entire world is on you because of this one situation and everybody's fighting this common goal just to save the world. Whereas this feels a lot more personal. Like this isn't about saving the world. It's about saving our home. And there's, there's just some kind of tangible nature to that that I really grabbed onto with this franchise. It's it's about, you know, preserving your heritage and and, and saving your home and your livelihood and, and fighting for, for family and pride and honor and riches and glory. You know, there's all these things that, you know, maybe that's something everybody else tries to do at some point. You're doing your job for for the money. You're doing it for the recognition. You you go to these reunions because you you're proud of your family and you want to you want them to be proud of you and if there's a family crisis you're you're jumping in there and trying to to save the day for your family and help them out this is like a really big family crisis for thorin essentially and so i just like how it twists and turns and weaves and ebbs and flows and then even still by the end of the movie you're looking and and their home the the, the lonely mountain is still so far away you know, they've they've gone on this huge adventure already. And you could probably call it a day by the end of this movie and be like, yep, I went on an adventure. I'm going to go home now. And yet there's still so much more yet to happen. And I think that's one of the things that this movie does the best or, or probably does better than some of the other movies is it gives you a sense of adventure and it gives you a very deliberate acknowledgement that even with all the adventures you just went on life still has other adventures left ahead of them yeah and i like i mean first of all really quick martin freeman brilliant brilliant oh. casting oh gotta yes. love martin freeman just 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 without this like martin freeman is a joy but also like him as bilbo baggins is absolutely delightful and I love the character. Stunning I casting. Love, I, Stunning I love his, casting. I love his journey. I love the whole idea of taking you, taking yourself out of your comfort zone. Oh and, yeah. And it's it's different from Frodo. Frodo is this kid that is kind of thrust in the conflict that he's this he's coming of age story and he's young and he's got this huge responsibility and that's part of him growing up, whereas. Bilbo is kind of like, even though he's younger, I don't know what the lifespan of a hobbit is, but like, you know, he's been around a long time. He's going to be around a whole lot longer. As we know, 60 years later, he, I mean, he, he's aged a little bit, but not that much. Um, so, like, I like the idea, like, he's very, you know, and the whole race of hobbits is like, they're mundane, they don't do much, they, they, they're comfortable where they are, they don't want to do anything to step outside their comfort zone and this lesson that that he goes on, which is these people just show up at his house and just destroy everything, you know, and Gandalf <laughs> lets it happen, and Gandalf knows that no matter how much Bilbo protests, he still won't pass the chance to go on this adventure, eventually, even though they've left, and I like that it's not like, it's not pressed on him. It's like, hey, let's do this. He's like, no, 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 and they leave, and it's like, why'd they leave without me? Like, I have to go. And he, he's like, I'm going on an adventure. And he runs after them. Yep. And it's him, you know, 
like knowing that yeah there's risk involved yes I could die but like it's life like I'm never gonna get a chance like this again like I have to do this and realizing that he is you know his journey through this movie and understanding that they can't do what they're gonna do without him and yeah. in the same time he needs them to be a better person or better hobbit um, so I like that journey and I like his whole thing about them distrusting him and ultimately, you know, finding a way to, you know, get closer to him. Yep. Yep. I agree. Now you said it's, it's set 60 years prior to the, uh, the Lord of the Rings and in the fellowship, I believe the big birthday party that he's having is his 111th. Oh, okay. It's his 111st birthday, I think. <laughs> Is what they call it. So if it's his 111th birthday at the beginning of the Fellowship and it's set 60 years beforehand, that puts Bilbo around 51 when he goes on this adventure. Hmm. Wow. So, there you go. I mean, obviously, it's if he's super old by the time he's 111, 60-year differential, he's probably like right in the middle of his life. So you could almost classify this as like a midlife crisis type thing. It is. I mean, he's not like he's he's in a position now. He's like I can retire. Like I'm I I don't have to do anything for the rest of my life. I'm just like I, I mean, built like hobbit life is kind of like retirement anyway. Like it's you have very young casual. ones going like I'm going to have a second breakfast. Like, you know, like that's their way of life. But, you know, and that's kind of the crux of like their characters and the fact that they need to go on these adventures because, you know, that's there's more to life than that, even though that's in their nature. Yeah, man. I wish I could eat like a hobbit. I'm just <laughs> just gonna just gonna put that out there because you've got breakfast, you've got second breakfast, you've got eleven Z's, you've got uh lunch, afternoon tea, dinner, and supper. And that's we all want to be hobbits because they live like they live, eat like they eat, and also go on awesome adventures once every hundred years or so. Like, can I just be a hobbit, please? <laughs> please. I'm um, I'm with you though, man. Like Bilbo is probably one of the one of the best characters in the series and he has a lot of life experiences in this movie. And he's he's the star of this film, obviously. It's called The Hobbit. Duh. Um but you're basically watching all of these things unfold from his perspective. It's it's almost as if you were putting on Bilbo framed glasses and you're watching this adventure unfold through the eyes of Bilbo Baggins. And so oh. whenever he feels uncomfortable, you feel uncomfortable. When he feels excited, you feel excited. When when he feels scared and nervous when he's alone in the cave with Gollum, you're feeling scared and nervous and isolated just a little bit so i mean there's we can all relate to bilbo oh we absolutely all, we all love to be in dude, our little bubbles dude, our little comfort zones dude there is like one picture that i completely relate to bilbo baggins 150 percent it's right at the beginning of the movie when uh like right after he feels like he's told Gandalf off and, and Gandalf leaves and he's getting ready to have dinner that night and he's got the pan seared fish and he's getting ready to cut into it and his bell rings and he looks at it like he doesn't get up 
he doesn't do anything except just like hold his fork and his knife in place and then he kind of glares at the door like no you did not just ring right now you did <laughs> not just ring like no. he glares at it to a certain degree like go away unring yourself don't just don't and then it rings again and he just kind of like sighs heavily if i was in his place i would have like face palmed or something because from there it's like his whole life goes topsy-turvy yeah i i I, and it's so relatable because he's like he's you're you're as the audience going what's going on here and he's doing the same thing he's like yep what what are you people doing like i just opened my door you said at your service and now you're eating all my food like what the heck yeah yep that kind of storytelling is one of my favorites it's called the first person limited omniscient point of view and you can do it in books a lot but to do it in a movie setting is very difficult to achieve, and they did it very, very well in this movie. Um, a good example of first-person, limited, omniscient point of view would be The Hunger Games. When you're watching the events of The Hunger Games unfold through the eyes of Katniss Everdeen. Mm-hmm. You've got all these different experiences that she's having, and you have no idea what's going to happen until it happens to Katniss. And that's basically what's happening with The Hobbit, is you have no idea what's to come as a viewer. And you have no idea what to anticipate until it actually ends up happening to Bilbo Baggins. So, just really, really solid storytelling. And you're right, that that sequence at his house is one of the most baffling and confusing of the whole movie. Because you're like, okay how many dwarves are actually going to fit inside this hobbit hole before it explodes? It, they just keep piling in, coming in one after another after another. They're, they're moving the tables. They're moving the, the furniture around. They're eating all the food. They're messing up the dishes. They're getting mud in places that mud shouldn't go. At one point, he says something to Gandalf about, I'm not even going to tell you what they did to the plumbing they've, or what they've done to the bathroom. They've all but destroyed the plumbing. I just don't understand what they're doing in my house. Like, he's freaking out, man. And it's so funny because everybody else is so casual and so laughing and enjoying themselves. But Bilbo is just trying to be a decent host while at the he's same absolutely time done. getting everybody out of there. He's like, get out of my house. And he's got a very similar demeanor in the book. As far as accuracy to the book goes, up until he says, I'm going on an adventure, basically everything that happens from the start of the movie until he leaves Bag End is almost word for word from the book. Like I don't doubt it because that's a long sequence. It is. It's like forty five minutes or something like that. Like it is a like, long I remember, ass sequence. I, I I remember people kind of halfway criticizing this movie, going like they don't even leave the Shire for like an hour. And I'm I'm looking at my clock, going like, yeah, that was about an hour. Yeah. Like thing. Like it was good stuff, but like it took like forever. And it, it feels like looking back on it, it's like okay, that was like not much happened like it was just the, this domino effect of things happening and then it gets down to like him actually leaving and it's like oh wow that went like fast because you know a lot's happened but also you know a lot of time has passed too yep 
Yep, it's very true. But the 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 songs that they sing in that sequence as well. Yeah. Are songs that the dwarves sing while they're guests at Bag End. So, like, they got everything down, even down to the songs that they sing. Like, that's what Bilbo Baggins hates. <laughs> that's an actual song that they made up while they were helping do the dishes. And then the Misty Mountain song is like a legend. It's like a, it's like a, what do you call it? A ballad almost. Yeah. That yeah. they sing as dwarves of the Lonely Mountain. It's been a part of their history ever since they were forced out of the mountain by Smaug. And so when they, when they sing it, it's just so powerful because you're, you're recognizing that not only is this just like a song of their people, but it's almost like their national anthem to a sort of, to a, to a certain degree. They're, they're singing it with this drive and zeal and passion, recognizing that this stuff that used to be the, 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 the song of legends is now a song of fulfillment they're planning on carrying this song out and restoring honor to Erebor. And yeah. I, I don't I don't know if I, I, I don't even know if that's something that anybody else catches on or, or if that's something that that meant anything to you or if it just sounded like a good song, Ben. But to me, the more I watch that sequence, the more I realize they're not just harmonizing for the sake of music, but it's almost like their way of getting into the same vibe, getting into the same mentality so that they are more unified when they go on this quest to to reconquer the mountain. That is their song of purpose. That is their reason for going. And the more I watch it, the more I realize just how passionately they're singing. And the reason for their passion is because they're passionate about their quest. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's a it's a worthy cause, even though it's not as big and world-changing as what happens with Sauron later, it's still like this very personal journey that they're going on, and it's very yeah. relatable, and it's very like these people are literally homeless. They have no home to go to, and they're just stuck because this dragon has literally stolen everything from them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I do love, I, I like that opening, you know, sequence where they kind of go through and show you, like, Thing. I think it wouldn't be like it needed that. And I, I'm not, I can't remember exactly if Lord of the Rings has that exactly like stuff, but like I think it does. But like you needed that to kind of relate to like what's going on and you know, understand like what's at stake here and kind of explaining what's going on with Smog. 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 Smog is the correct pronunciation. Um, and I was really looking forward to seeing Smaug and didn't really see him. You kind of get a little post-credits, not a post-credits, but like a before-the-credits teaser. Yeah. And I'm looking, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to in the next bit. I'm like, okay, I want to see Smaug. I want to see what this guy's up to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you, you get that tease at the end that, yes, they're in the right direction, but, like, what's this going to mean? And you've yep. literally got, you know, what, 13, 14 people total that are going to go up against this guy. Like, how is this going to work? So it's still smaller stakes, but still insurmountable odds. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Smaller stakes, but very, very tough odds against them. You're right. Um, what's, what I find really interesting is how much trouble 
they got themselves into along the way. It was like almost any time they could find themselves in some kind of mishap, they did. Like they got they got into a mishap with the with the trolls. They got into a mishap with the orc pack before they fell into the the good slash bad graces of the elves. Soon as they leave the elves, they end up getting captured by goblins. Soon as they're done with the goblins, they have to fight the orc pack. Like, can these guys catch a break at any point in this movie? It just doesn't seem like it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, they continue to fall into just out, literally, as Gandalf says, out of the pot and into the fire at some at one point. Yep. Like, it's very fitting. Yep. It's very true. And you know that that first encounter that they had when they they make camp at the at the, the the little farmhouse or whatever it was gandalf recognized that there was something wrong with the with the settlement did you did you mm-hmm. catch on to that like yeah he, yeah i mean you can tell the you know the dwarves are smart and they're warriors but they're also you know especially the head one he's uh you know a bit headstrong and maybe a bit stubborn yeah. Well, I mean, you learn from Gimli that most dwarves are kind of like that. Yeah, and just like any time Gandalf says, "Okay, something's not right here. We need to move on." Like, listen to Gandalf, people. Like, mm-hmm. we we should know by now. Like, if Gandalf says we need to do something about this, you you listen to him. You listen to the wizard. But they don't, and you know, ultimately, and that's one thing that I will I kind of levy as a criticism a little bit is that Gandalf saves them almost too many times in this movie. <laughs> like, think about it. You have the cave, the, the troll thing, which is, it's just fine. It, it happens. I think that's the first time. And he shows up and they're really kind of in the thick of it. Um, and Bilbo is trying his best to get out of it, but he, but he can't. Um, and then he also shows up, pretty much does the same thing with the goblins. They're kind of surrounded by goblins and he shows up and, you know, distracts them and, you know, causes a ruckus and they're able to escape. I I live with it as a criticism just the fact of, like, like it's a, as a plot trope, you know, of course Gandalf is always going to be there to save them, but that needs to be, like, they, the characters themselves need to grow. And I feel like, especially, like, the second or even towards the end, like, these dwarves kind of need to defend for themselves and need to need to show that they're able to do this without Gandalf. And I feel like, I know that's probably in the books. It's probably not, you know, just a thing for the movie itself. But like for me as a, just a general plot thing, it's like they should have found a way out themselves to get out of the goblin thing instead of Gandalf just showing up randomly and helping them again. Yeah, no, I, I, I I will agree to that. Uh, it, It does feel like a bit of a cop out at times. Um, the only counterpoint I would make is that that's kind of the reason they brought a wizard along in the first place. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I think, I think the whole thing is, like, Gandalf leaves. Like, they wouldn't have gotten in those situations in the first place if Gandalf wasn't just leaving all the time. (laughs) So, like... Well, if, if he was sticking around, and if they were actually taking his advice when he was sticking around, then maybe they'd be getting into trouble less. Who knows? I think, I, it's just, it's just a steady process of... Gandalf saving their skins, 
then getting tired of the crap and walking away, and then he shows back up to save them again after they've gotten into another bigger mess. Um, so it's just a process. Yeah, and as and, and a cycle that I do feel like they end up breaking eventually. Oh, I'm um, sure they do, yeah. Like, it, it's not something that is going to be a perpetual complaint, I feel like, you'll end up having for this trilogy. Um, I, myself, am going to end up having more complaints about other things, to be honest. But but uh, this one, I feel like I have fewer complaints than than the rest of the than the rest of the stories, mostly because out of the three, I feel like this one is perhaps the truest to the book. Really, okay. like like this this sequence, and and maybe maybe that's one of the one of the areas you and I are going to differ is that I've read the book once or twice, and you're just watching it from a cinematic perspective, which I get right. But right. for anybody that hasn't read the book, I would highly recommend it because similar to the adventurous feel that you've got from this movie, that's very similar to the sense of adventure that you get from The Hobbit. The The book itself is more of an adventure tale than it is anything that's super intense or super critical. You're just following along with whatever happens. It almost reads like a history book from what I've heard from friends of mine who have criticized the book before they're like it reads it reads a, a little bit differently than the other books do and because it's under 300 pages you can be done with it you know over the course of a weekend if you apply yourself properly so oh, wow. it's a it's it's a pretty decent book i enjoyed it a lot what um what i found interesting was the the scene at bag end was almost perfect like just almost word for word and the scene with the trolls was also very, very similar to what we get in the book. And that's that's where my, my other biggest complaint comes in, is if they were able to do so much from the book in this movie, why weren't they able to do it with the other movies? <laughs> um, we'll get to that eventually, but... Right. But the... Um, the the scene with the trolls and then um, Bilbo's encounter with Gollum. You know, there are several sequences. Uh, Bag End, the trolls, Gollum, uh, some of the other interactions that happen over the course of the, of the movie are very, very uh, respectful and, and resemble the, the book in many facets. And I just, I, for some reason, I appreciate that. I appreciate that they are paying a lot of attention to the source material in this movie and that the source material is ample enough to provide a decent story. It's not like they had to do a whole, whole lot of deviations in order for it to be a good movie. Because by the end of the movie, there are a lot of moments that tie in to the, uh, to the Lord of the Rings. There are a lot of moments that set the stage for other things down the road in this uh, in this trilogy. And like you said, it was a pretty long film. Like if yeah, it, if it if if they if they had cut down and condensed some of the scenes, it might have made them a little bit more impactful cuz to a certain degree, it's almost like this movie is broken up into a, like three or four different segments and you can almost watch those different segments independently. And it, it, I mean by that token, it could almost work like a miniseries. You know, you you watch the the episode where he finally decides to go on the adventure, and that's the end of episode one. 
you get into episode two and you know x x y z happens end of episode two the the you end up in Rivendell you start your episode in Rivendell and then you finish the episode with uh with the goblins you know you're finishing up your encounter with the goblins end of episode three it could be broken up like that if you wanted it to but they kind of compressed it all together into one big movie yeah yeah it is and it's hard to like especially a movie this long I and mean, you could say this about any you know long movie Lord of the Rings Gone with the Wind whatever like it's hard to establish like a like a true like a beginning middle and end or three three act like segments because they're so long like you know where does the first act end and the second act begin like you really it's hard to say that because it is such a meandering thing that you know moves from one segment to the other and you know there's these you know great action sequences that are kind of intermediated by you know lots of you know kind of wandering shots and stuff like that and they take their time it's not about getting it's not a standard action movie you know you watch a marvel movie or a star wars movie it's about you know moving pretty quickly through the plot getting to the action and whatever important stuff is these movies are not like that at all they're structured completely differently they're about character building and and world building and you know getting into the universe that this is in and not necessarily trying to just you know power right through the movie or the story you're trying to tell it's about you know sticking with it and kind of living in this universe for a little while while you're you know enjoying the story so you know i hope all that makes sense but like you know it i think overall i think I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a different cut of this movie that could have been, you know, closer to two hours. I don't know. Probably not. I think there's a lot of important stuff, even though it is long. And all these movies are long. That's just the way they are. Um, they're they're telling important details. It's not like, hey, we're going to do something over here, and it has nothing to do with the plot. Like, it, they're, they're telling a story. Like, it's just told in a lot longer format. Yeah, yeah. I think the adventurous nature of the movie actually ends up hindering the storytelling to a certain degree because it ebbs and flows with the pace of the adventure. It doesn't necessarily conform to the traditional storytelling method of beginning, middle, end because there's different there's different sequences of events that happen in each scene and you don't really have like a true middle of the movie and you're not really sure when the ending is going to happen. Because, you know, you probably could have ended the movie after the company reunites outside of the Goblin Cave. You yeah, know, you you know that, 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 that moment where, where Bilbo takes off the ring and he reunites with everybody. And then they find out that they're being chased by Azog, um, the Defiler. You don't necessarily have to have a climactic final duel. You could just have them running. And and finish. you could have them just walk down the hill, and then oh, there's the lonely mountain, and there's where we need to go, and that's where the movie ends. Yeah, but I mean, at the same time, here I am now. I'm going to argue for the longer format because you miss a whole lot of stuff. You miss right. having the standoff with Azog. You miss having more character building with Bill between Bilbo and and the dwarves, 
and great character moments. And yes, it's a long action sequence that goes through that to get to there, but like it's important. It's part of the story, and you lose a lot if you were just say, hey, let's just wipe that out in the edit, and let's just continue on in the movie. Well, you're, that stuff's important. Yeah, there, there's a lot of important elements that they try and squeeze into just under three hours. So, I mean, it's weird because they take their dear sweet time at Bag End, and then maybe towards the, the end of the movie, it feels like all the action is kind of being compressed because, you know, you've got the action sequence with the with the goblins, and then you've got the action sequence with the orcs at the very end. It's almost like they're not evenly weighted. It's not like the, the distribution is very equal. And then there's a, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of flashbacks that take up some time too, like the flashback to Erebor when Smaug actually first attacks, or the flashback to the attack at the mines of Moria, where you know they they have that climactic battle between the dwarves and the orc that kind of sets the stage for that orc dwarf rivalry. Yeah, and then you have kind of the left turn with uh, what is the other wizard's name? The 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 creature wizard. I'm going to call him <laughs> Radagast. Is his name Radagast? And that's kind of a left turn that kind of threw me for a loop. At, at, at as I was watching the film, you just cut to him. After Gandalf mentions him, you just cut to him and you just see his story. And I was like, okay, where is this going? Of course, it comes back around, and he yeah. comes back around, and he's part of the story, and he helps them escape the. The, uh, the the thing so like it's well, it's all part of the stuff so so Radagast is important for uh, a couple of different reasons um, number one he's the one that alerts Gandalf that there is witchcraft at play and that's something that really has not happened in Middle Earth for a couple of centuries ever mm-hmm. since. Ever since Sauron was defeated and the ring was lost, it's been lost with Gollum for a couple of centuries. You know, there really hasn't been a whole lot of witchcraft at play for hundreds of years. And so to hear that was very disturbing. And then when he ended up at Dol Guldur, which is the, the place where he ended up fighting with somebody, did you, did you get the reference that Galadriel made when they were at the, at the small council meeting with the dagger? Um, she, I caught a few references. She she said that that dagger was buried with the Witch King of Agmar. Oh yeah, he's the leader of the, uh, not the not the orcs. It's the it's the riders from the, the fellowship. Isn't he kind of the physical embodiment of the Eye of Sauron? He. <sighs> Or is that a different? No, I don't. I don't know if he's a physical embodiment. I'm very the... rust. I'm very. I'm very much a noob when it comes to. Lore, I mean, okay, uh, so it's it's been since February since we talked about Middle Earth. So so cut me a little right. bit of slack here. But the the Witch King is the leader of the nine horsemen that are searching for the Ring in Fellowship. Right, and he's the one that is. Um, that is is flying overhead during the two towers and is the one that is like part of the climactic battle in return of the king where he says you know you fool no man can kill me and then uh then we have that classic line i am no man stabs him right in the face <laughs> like that's go. that's the witch king of agmar and so when she says that that dagger belonged to the witch king it means that 
the the spirits of those seven riders are being released. But if they are serving Sauron in the Fellowship and the and the two movies that come after it, if they are serving Sauron in those movies, then the it, then the question then becomes, who awakened them in this movie? Like so, it, it's adding like a little bit of a mystery element to it, because you're realizing that uh, Saruman's claim that Sauron is defeated may not be entirely accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's kind of doing like this little prelude thing like, oh, we're going to tease you with some, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King references. Here you well, are. That, it's whole, just a... that whole council scene, which is great because you get Christopher Lee back, you get all those great actors back. Like mm-hmm. that's a powerhouse of acting that one scene oh for sure but like you have and it's all about like the whole back and forth but especially back and forth between um Saruman and Gandalf and kind of this dialogue about what's coming and Gandalf realizes it that, that this is something things are not right this is not normal to be just walking around and all of a sudden you get get attacked by things like this is not yeah. normal for in Middle Earth. Like something's coming, and Saruman, you don't. I mean, of course, we know. I mean, unless you haven't seen or know nothing about Lord of the Rings, you know he's kind of shady. He kind of do some shady stuff. Well, I mean, and... he's in cahoots with Sauron, so he he has, may, he, has point... to, he has to play it off as casual so that nobody draws any suspicion about what's really being planned. Now, at this point is he at this point is he already kind of in with him or so is he yet I don't to... I don't want to be putting my money where my mouth is. I don't want to say it like 100%, but it's safe to assume that if he's playing this so casually, like he's saying this person who calls himself the necromancer is hiding in an abandoned fortress and orcs have come out of the hills and you got attacked by trolls. When you look at it that way, it's not a very big deal. Like he's he's trying to brush it off. Yeah, he he's de- he's up to something. It's, right. it, things are not as they seem. He's definitely trying to go against what Gandalf is saying. Like, ah, oh, Gandalf, you're you're crazy. Nothing's going on. Well, but then Gandalf's suspicions in Fellowship of the Ring. You know, when he feels like he's discovered the one true ring. And he and he confronts the the elder of his order about it, you know his 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 friend mistakes you know logic for madness essentially is what he what he says. So it's like the beginning of that madness essentially. The that that seed of doubt is beginning to to fester in this episode, leading you to wonder what Saruman could be up to in future movies, future episodes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that foreshadowing. I like that they're kind of getting into that and, you know, there's definitely, saying, Hey, there's people that, you know, they're not oblivious to this. They know this is coming. They know that whatever was done way back in the day, it wasn't finished. And, there is this overwhelming evil, even though it's not present now. It's not going to come of age. And you even have, I mean, Frodo, which was, 
I it was a surprise to me to actually see him in this movie. Um, kind of saying, hey, this is this is setting this up for, you know, what's coming down the pipe. But right now we're focused on this little tiny little story, very literally, with these dwarves, <laughs> you know, trying to take down a dragon. This little story. I see what you did there. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, so, I... Jeez. We, we, we end up with Gandalf saving the day from the trolls, which, honestly, those trolls kind of reminded me of the Three Stooges to a certain degree. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know if you got that vibe, but I totally got, like, a Three Stooges vibe from the three of them. Um, but after they end up getting saved by Gandalf there, they, they escape from the orcs, they make it to Rivendell, and the this is just a very interesting exchange of cultures really because the the dwarves are so uh they're, they're so heavy set they're so prideful they're so antagonistic they're so quick to a fight and the elves are just so chill and laid back and you know i swear sometimes i think they're high <laughs> like <laughs> Like they're they're speaking in foreign tongues and they're just like, Hey, come chill with us, man. You are totally welcome here. We don't want you to run off, man. We don't want you to get hurt. Just hang out with us, man, and enjoy this green stuff that we're giving you. Cause there's there's one time where they're they're eating their dinner and the the youngest of the dwarves is like, I don't like green food. Have they got any chips? <laughs> like just flat out showing their uh their carnivore side or their omnivorous side at least which yeah. you know just seeing that that didactic split between the two of them I always found really interesting and then you've got um what's his name Hugo Weaving my oh yeah gosh Hugo Weaving so good to have him back like, that alone was a nostalgia trip. Seeing him and Kate Blanchett as Galadriel was enough of a nostalgia trip for me to remind me of all the stuff that we'd previously watched, you know? Oh, yeah. That's like, just, just to see the two of them. And also, Richard Armitage, the guy who plays Thorin Oakenshield, quick little thing. Um, he and I share a birthday. Oh, really? He and I have the same birthday of August the 23rd. So, um, I got a little soft spot for him as well. And to see all of them interacting as they kind of like discover the secrets of the map and find out what it is they need to do, where they need to be, what they need to be doing. Like, it's almost like a, a treasure hunt, if you will. Like this, this map is leading them on a, on a literal treasure hunt and trying to help them find ways to, sneak around the dragon and, and help them, you know, end up winning the day. And it's just so funny that the, the, the one people that they need help from are the one people that Thorne really doesn't want to ask help from because he still holds a grudge over what happened at Erebor. Yep. Like that tension with the elves, I promise you that's not going to go away. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I, I like, you know, kind of, you know, and, you know, it also, like, you have all these different kingdoms, all these different races, and, you know, they they all don't get along. You know, they don't, you know, they, they kind of don't like each other. But, you know, we know 
that they kind of have to start getting along because they got to all work together to, you know, to beat Sauron eventually. But right now they're kind of, you know, on the outs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, sorry, I got a little distracted by looking at some trivia from this from this film. Um, no doubt. I'm, I'm, I'm watching a scene from the movie right now. The, Just... the director, Peter Jackson, uh, said that he invited Sir Christopher Lee to the premiere of this movie. And Lee responded intimidatingly, it says, Am I still in the movie? Because he, remember, he remembers Return of the King. Exactly, exactly. Did you cut me out this time, Peter? He was originally slated to appear in Return of the King, but his scenes were cut from the theatrical release, which caused the actor and director to have a falling out. Oh, see, that's awful. So I'm glad that they were able to repair things in time for this movie, because having him in it was awesome. And also just having him back, even in the small role he is, because, I mean... Christopher Lee okay. is no longer with us. Yeah, so. yeah. So this was when when Sir Christopher Lee was was very sickly, and he and Ian Holm were were both rather sick. They 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 were both kind of on the down tick with their health. And Ian Holm plays the older Bilbo, the mm. the, the the elder the elder Bilbo. Is he still around? I don't know. I don't believe so. See, I was wondering. I was like. Did, is this the same guy, or did they recast? Because yeah, I'm like, he was sa- pretty it, old in the original. Yes, exactly, exactly. He was, he he was pretty he was pretty sickly uh, at the end of Return of the King, and so to have him back for the for the Hobbit movies was a pretty big deal. Uh, he's still around, apparently, according to IMDb. He's still around. That's um, good. I did not know that he did a voice in Ratatouille. Oh, really? What did he do in Ratatouille? I wonder. He was Bilbo, and he was, oh my gosh, he was Chef Skinner from Ratatouille. The, I have the, no idea what that means, but whatever. He was. Oh, you haven't seen Ratatouille yet. No, I haven't. Oh, another, man. See, another embarrassing one. Gonna, that's something else we're going to have to to fix eventually. But We'll we'll get to all the Pixar movies. I'm going to watch them all. We're going to talk about them on this show. Well, that's yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to, I'm going to have to keep you accountable to that or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. But uh, that that's actually pretty cool. Here's here's a fun one. Um, uh, where where did it go? Do you remember the giant elk that one of the elven kings was riding on at the beginning of the movie? Uh, yeah, I think so. The the elven army comes up over the hill just as Smaug is attacking Erebor, and and Thorin like waves for help, and he just kind of turns the moose around, and uh, and the army turns around and they like walk away. <laughs> yeah. So the elk that Thranduil rides on is played by a horse. Oh. The horse's name is Moose. <laughs> so a horse named Moose played an elk. Exactly. All righty. <laughs> exactly. All righty. Exactly. Anyway, going back to Ian Holm and, uh, and Sir Christopher Lee. 90 to 95% of the movie was shot on location in New Zealand. But the scene at the round table and the scene on the interior of Bag End where where older Bilbo is is writing um is writing his memoirs, those two scenes were actually shot in Pinewood in England. Oh wow. So that those two actors would not have to travel far to do their scenes. 
There you go. They were so sickly that transporting them to New Zealand was deemed too dangerous for their health. So they shot those sequences in uh, in Pinewood Studios instead. Mm. And, I mean, when was this released? When was this movie released? 2012, I believe. 2012. I mean, they were sick back then, but, I mean... You know, Bilbo's still with us, and and you know Christopher Lee didn't die up until just a couple few years ago. Like he stuck around a good while after that. So I mean, and and Christopher Lee's freaking badass anyway. Oh yeah, um, like real life badass. Um, so it wasn't wasn't no wasn't any surprise he lived. He had as a long as amazing life as he did. But uh, well, we still miss him. Oh, totally. He's still very much missed him. Yeah, he passed away in uh, June of 2015, but it just mm. doesn't it doesn't feel that long, man. It does not no. does not feel that long ago. Uh and and it's cool that we get to get to have some more memories with him in movies like this. You're absolutely right. It was yeah. it was a it's, great it's, pleasure. It's it's great. I mean, like especially when you're going back and doing like prequels and stuff like that like you know getting the original actors I know there's been plenty of recastings and a lot of recastings that I've liked but like when you can get the original actor I mean you talk about you know this past Star Wars sequel trilogy like getting Mark Carey and Harrison back that was great um getting you know going back to Rogue One like getting you know like uh, Jimmy Smith's back as Bail Organa like little things like that I love and having this in this case of, you know, getting Gandalf, you know, Ian McKellen, how could you not, like, you know, great, but, you know, getting just a little bit of more of Sauron and Christopher Lee, especially since he's no longer with us, is a treasure. Well, so while you're talking about that, I actually wanted to bring that up. Um, I didn't know how to squeeze it into the conversation, but there was a time when Sir Ian McKellen actually almost quit the movie. Oh, really? Because did did you notice how disproportionate the characters looked in Bilbo's home? Like Gandalf just looked a lot larger than the dwarves did. It's because it's because in 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 Middle Earth, um, he was he he was much larger than them. But in reality, he's about the same size as all those humans that are playing those characters. You know, right? So they had to do like some CGI splicing in order to make him appear bigger than everybody else and then like fit him into the movie using like two combined shots to make him look bigger in the final cut. Right. And um so he had to shoot all of those scenes by himself. Oh wow. So the scenes at the dinner table when he's going around bumping into things, when he's counting all of the characters that are running around and stuff there's nobody on that set with him. It's just him. And he's the only, I mean, for a large part of it, he's the only regular character that is just normal size. Right. Everyone else is a dwarf or, or someone playing a dwarf. Right. Right. So it, it was very, very hard on him as a person and as an actor from, from what I recall from, from interviews, there was one point where he was alone on the set and they were in between takes and he literally cried. I, I've heard about that before. Yeah, he that's... cried because he said, this is not what I signed up for. He didn't want 
to do this kind of acting by himself. He wanted to be able to play off of his cohorts, and he didn't have any opportunity to do that during the scenes at Bag End. Like, everything that he recorded there, he recorded by himself. Yeah. And he, he was just so, so upset over that that he almost I mean quit it the is movie. it is hard and people don't realize how hard it is for actors to not only deal with you know green screen sets and you know stuff that isn't there and creatures and special effects but also people that aren't there like you're talking about you know when you're standing right next to each other you know that's not real they had to they had to do some forced perspective or some CGI or, you know special effects to make Bilbo and Gandalf look very different in height, even though in real life they're not. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. So it, it, it's sad that, you know, we can, uh, it, I mean, they still brought out a brilliant performance, all of them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that's that's just a tribute to their professionalism as actors, is that even with all of that cutting and splicing and editing and whatnot, it's still put out a very, very solid film. Like, there's there's a lot... to in, in my opinion, there's still a lot about this movie that is praiseworthy. I, I know that it feels like it goes on a bit. I know that it feels like there's some, some plot cop-outs as well. But I, I don't know, man. There's just something about the whimsical nature of this film that captures the imagination and the... Uh, the, the the capacity that Middle Earth possesses to inspire and give you a sense of adventure that I really don't get from any other of the movies. Like, things kind of get taken up a notch and get a little bit more intense the closer you get to the mountain when you're watching the, the Fellowship. You know, as soon as Frodo and Sam escape the Witch King at uh, at the Shire... And they, they take those steps that are farther than they've ever stepped before. Everything kind of gets a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. But there's just something about this movie that just continues to capture the uh, that, that continues to capture the imagination for oh, me. Yeah, totally, totally. And it's I mean it's expanding on this universe, on this Middle Earth, and you're seeing more of it than you really have seen before, and seeing things you haven't seen before. And, you know, that's the biggest thing about this is that it, it really does expand it so much. Um, so, you know, we're, uh, you know, I, I'm really, I've enjoyed it so far. I, I'm really, I'm looking into the future. Like, I'm wondering where the story going to go. I'm looking forward to Smaug and all this kind of stuff. And, like, what is the Battle of the Five Armies? I'm interested in that and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, there's there's a lot to look forward to, and there's still a few more things uh, worth discussing, but we're going to hit the pause button for just a second and go to a brief program identification and commercial break. We'll see you on the flip side as we continue our discussion of The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey.
Hey there, everybody. It's Sage from the Night Force Media Network, and I'm here to tell you about our new show, The Fandom Cantina, and why you need to tune into it. Also here to talk about it is, um, uh, oh yeah, right, it's Mondo. Wait, wait, wait. So you should think I'm like, like an afterthought? Let no, me tell no, you but... something, okay? You act like I don't know anything about Star Wars I, I never and the said Force that. Or, uh, or other movies. I'll have you know I was a MoviePass subscriber, okay? And I subscribed wait, to but... A-List, and you act like I don't know anything about television. You no. know, like all those fancy shows and video games. Let me I, tell you something, I man. Say... I have beaten 50 video games this year alone, and 50? you don't think that I like making odd-numbered list countdown lists up? Oh, uh, you are you are sadly mistaken, sir. So yeah, that's what our show's about. You can catch us 10 p.m. Eastern Wednesday nights. Mixler's Night Force Media. See you then. This is IPC. And we're back, continuing our discussion of The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. I'm Zach, here with Ben. And we've only got a couple more things that we really wanted to cover for this film. Um, For me in particular, one of my favorite scenes was when they made it into the mountain and got captured by the goblins, because you got Mm -hmm. to see his uh, uh, Bilbo's sword glow blue, which was really cool. Um, Something that we got from the Lord of the Rings movies, and we kind of got to see it a little bit more here uh, in this instance. Uh, Goblins or trolls, uh, not trolls, um, orcs, apparently, are the two things that that cause it to glow. And it was really interesting to see that and then see that light kind of go out when Gollum killed the last goblin in the area. Yeah, I like that. Oh, that's not... That's not a goblin that I'm dealing with. I'm dealing with something else. And that was a really cool sequence. But also Gandalf coming in and, and kind of saving the day. Um, I know that that was one of your complaints was how often he saved the day. But, yeah. you know, his appearance there ended up turning into what I consider one of the finest choreographed fight sequences in Middle Earth, and dare say I would say most movies that I've seen. It's just extremely well thought out, extremely detailed, integrates a lot of different elements, including swinging bridges, magic, and boulders. They use a pole at one point to kind of switch and sway some of the goblins out of the way, over the edge. You've got the the classic uh, Wilhelm scream in the midst of all of it. Like there's a lot of really, really cool elements. I know that their deaths kind of seem uh, extravagant at times, but I think that's kind of the point is like goblins aren't known for their fighting as much as they're known for their numbers. And the dwarves were able to kind of fight their way out of that situation. Once Gandalf kind of inspired them to actually do something. And it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, that was a pretty epic epic showdown there, them fighting their way out. And I really like that sequence. And it really it's it's just this 
whole thing. And the whole, you know, it's funny how there's a lot of underground stuff in this movie. You have, mm-hmm. you know, the with with what they're trying to fight for with the with the what the dwarves are going for, and then you have the whole goblin kingdom underneath this mountain too. Um, really cool, just use of like we're used to these giant cities above ground. Well, you know, these subterranean stuff is really cool too. Yeah, and it's 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 an interesting like contrast because you've got some big open fields sometimes where they had the the first fight with the orc raiding party. You've got forests, you've got mountains. You really kind of get to explore a lot of different parts of Middle Earth as you're going through this journey. Because you you start out in the Shire, which is you know very calm and peaceful, and then you've got a bunch of stormy areas, including the storm between the rock giants, which causes them to take shelter in the first place. And then they end up in the hands of the goblins, which is like a subterranean place. And then Bilbo's fall causes him to stumble into an even deeper part of the mountain that apparently the goblins don't even go towards because it's home to the one and only Gollum. Yeah, I was really excited to see Gollum. And he looks better than he's ever looked in this oh, movie. Oh, dude, totally. I mean, he's... Totally. He, the, the, I, mean, I mean, it was innovative back in the day for Lord of the Rings, but he looks yeah. amazing in this. And he's also, like, the facial expressions, like, the where he's... When he's doing the whole, like, he's thinking about one of the riddles, like, you just have a close-up of his face, and he's just doing all these crazy predictions. Um, It's just... It's it's so it's so funny. It's it's peak Andy Circus, and from what I read online, they actually recorded this sequence very early on in the recording process, so that they could get his uh, his motion capture stuff out of the way, mm-hmm. and then they actually retained him as a secondary director for the rest of the film. Wow! So Circus did his part; he played Gollum, got all that taken care of. And then when they had different directorial sequences that were at different scenes or whatever, and they were like recording things simultaneously, he was at the secondary location actually serving as the director for some of the principal photography. That's great. That's probably, I mean, that obviously led to him. He's now a director in his own right now. He's directing yep. films, so probably a good stepping stone for him. Yeah, I mean, he he's just a chameleon like that, you know? He's another one of those captains of the movie industry like John Favreau when we were talking about him earlier. Um, he he just does it all, and he he totally did it. The, the chemistry between him and Martin Freeman was, fanta- was just great. fantastic. It was just amazing. Like, we'd always heard about... You know, Bilbo's encounter with Gollum and his his way of coming to the possession of the ring. They kind of alluded to it in the Lord of the Rings movies, but didn't give a very accurate, you know, description, nothing very detailed. And then they go into this sequence and it's just extremely detailed, extremely drawn out. There's a lot of tension as they go back and forth with the riddles, which... They're also pretty clever riddles, by the way. Not gonna lie. Yeah. The the whole thing about uh, a box without uh, hinges, doors, or lids, yet golden treasure inside is hid. I was like, dang, that's a good one. <laughs> like, like they they did a really good job of capturing the conversation from the book because they play a game of riddles in the book as well, and it 
had similar stakes. Um, the usage of the ring, I think, may be a little bit off. I could be mistaken. It's been a while since I've read the book. But I don't think Bilbo actually starts using the ring the way that he does in the caverns as a means of escape. But as he's getting ready to leave and he sees Gandalf and the party heading for sunlight and, you know, Gollum's kind of in between the two of them right there, um, there's one scene where he's holding the dagger up to Gollum's face. And he's like, he's like on the verge of getting ready to, uh, of, of, of maybe striking the final blow as it will. Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of when they're in the mines of Moria in Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's a sequence where they recognize that Gollum's been tailing them and Frodo says, it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. Yeah. And Gandalf retorts, pity. It was pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me Gollum has some part to play in this. For good or for evil. It was that pity that Gandalf was talking about. In that moment, he had the opportunity to kill Gollum, and he took pity on him rather than anger, and it allowed him to continue to play the part that he does in the Lord of the Rings books, all because he stayed his hand in that one sequence before rejoining his party. Mm-hmm. And it goes without being spoken. It's not something that is directly said, or you hear Gandalf's voice mentioning that to Frodo in some flash forward or something. It's implied. And that appeal to the intelligent audience, the one that is paying attention to the subtleties that they're throwing in there, and, you know, understands the context of the books and the movies moving forward, those are the little entendres that I kind of live for. And so that particular sequence that didn't involve any words and yet still contributed to the other parts of the stories, I really, really enjoyed that sequence. Oh, yeah. It's really, really great. Ah, oh, man. His, his reunion with the party is actually something that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Mm -hmm. But right after he has that reunion, you you were mentioning they just finished the fight with the goblins, they're out of the frying pan, and then the orcs are right on top of them. They're back into the fire. (laughs) And it turns into a little, uh, like a literal fire in this final sequence, like... They light some of the area up on fire in order to try and get some of the wargs to back off. Yeah, they, they're, they light pine cones on fire and start throwing they're them. throwing lit up pine cones, which is something we've never seen in Middle-earth before. And I don't know if that's something that we just, like, hope to never see again. Was it tacky? Was it overdone? Or did it feel like it fit in the context of the story? 
I think it worked, honestly. I think it's just like, of course, like that's very ingenious. And of course, like, you know, just use pine cones as, as Molotov cocktails or something. They were almost like little fireball grenades or something, you know. I, I, I'm still kind of torn on that because, you know, there's a couple of things about this final sequence that make me wonder if it was just completely unnecessary, if it was just completely useless, because it's it's meant to be like some way for Thorin to uh, restore his honor and at preserve his family name and avenge the death of his grandfather and all that sort of thing. But the battle kind of ends in a retreat, which means neither side really won. You're just both kind of living to fight another day. And if you really were living to fight another day, then why did you have to have that fight in the first place? That's true. It's true. It's more about the conflict of them kind of like, you know, Thorin and the other dude who is who actually is played by the, the lead, the white, uh, uh, what's his name? The, the lead. As, Azog? Azog. You know who he's played by? Yeah, I do. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I was gonna. I was actually gonna test you and see if you knew this. Now, I I already I stumbled onto that fact. He's played by Manu Bennett, who I I think everyone's pretty familiar with. He was Deathstroke on Arrow. He's a bunch of other things. Spartacus, I think. Um, so really was I knew I, like I recognized that voice. Um, but I think it was good for them to you know it was it was a good exercise to kind of like have them interact again and kind of like reignite those emotions, but also a great way for Bilbo to prove himself. That's true. That is true. It, it honestly, it's probably more about Bilbo's coming of age, if you will, than it is about the fight, the actual fight between Azog and Thorin. Although I did think it was a little corny for him to like, pick up a log and use it as a shield the way he did in the battle for Moria. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I was it. like, I get it. He's Thorin Oakenshield. You don't have to beat me over the head with it. But <laughs> I, I guess it's meant to be like a nostalgia thing, like inspiring the troops or something like that. But you're right. It is probably more about Bilbo's character because I think what you'll find about him as the movies progress is he's kind of coming into his own a little bit Mm -hmm. in this movie. And once he does that, once he comes into his own and, and starts to identify a little bit better, he, um, he kind of becomes his own person. He's not quite as meek. He's not quite as timid. And I think this particular make or break moment really helped him with that. You know, he he had that opportunity to to choose what he was going to do or who he was going to stand up for or what he was, you know, what his reactions were going to be in the face of danger and death. And that was the decision that he made. That's what he chose. And to choose that kind of bravery definitely solidified him as like a member of the troop because he finally did something that was honorable. Mm-hmm. He didn't run and hide. He didn't escape. He didn't cower, or quiver in fear. He stood up. He stood tall. And 
that definitely left an impression on Thorin as well as the rest of the company, and he became a much more endearing company member because of it, I suppose. Yeah, and I, I like that, like, they're saying, like, oh, yeah, well, you are you don't belong here, you don't want to be here, and, and Bilbo's like, yeah, you're right, I don't belong here, I don't really want to be here, but at the same time, I need to be here, and I want to help you. Well, I mean, that's, that's in essence, the, the, the little segment that we've got coming up, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, I'll just go ahead and introduce that if you're okay with it, because this yeah, is probably... It's probably one of my favorite sequences of the whole movie, you know. Same. We we've seen his his comfortable living at Bag End. We've seen how uncomfortable he's felt in different scenarios. And yet at the same time he's kind of recognizing that the dwarves don't have that comfort. They don't have that luxury. And he begins to sympathize or or at least empathize with them a little bit more as the movie progresses, as the adventure progresses. And when they asked him why he came back, you know, after the fight with the goblins, they asked him, why'd you come back? And this was his answer. So I'm just going to shut up and let Mr. Baggins do the talking as we bring to you tonight's quote of the night. Five, six, seven, eight, four, four, that's ten. Philly, Kitty, that's twelve. And Arthur. That makes 13. Miss Bilbo. Where is our hobbit? Where is our hobbit? Cast the halfling. Now he's lost? I thought it was with Dory. Don't blame me. But where did you last see him? I think I saw him slip away when I first collared us. And what happened exactly? Tell me. I'll tell you what happened. Master Baggins saw his chance and he took it. He has thought of nothing but his soft bed and his warm hearth since first he stepped out of his door. We will not be seeing our hobbit again. He is long gone. No. He isn't. I've never been so glad to see anyone in my life. We've given you up. How on earth did you get past the goblins? How indeed. (laughs) Oh, what does it matter? He's back. It matters. I want to know. Why did you come back? Look, I know you doubt me. I know know you always have. And you're right, I often think of Bag End. I miss my books. And my armchair, my garden. See, that's where I belong. That's home. And that's why I came back. You don't have one. A home. It was taken from you. But I will help you take it back if I can. Man, I just love that last little bit where he says, I will help you take it back if I can. 
Like, dude, he gets it. He's on board with it. it. It's just one of those moments where he's building that camaraderie, that that uh, that kinship, just a little bit, and then from there he he backs it up with actions rather than just words, and proves himself to the people around him, which yeah. is fantastic. Yeah, I love it. So, I mean, I guess it's time for the moment of truth. I I know that that you had a lot of critiques about this, but let's let's go into to final thoughts and and what our overall planet score is going to be for this introductory movie to the Hobbit trilogy. What what did you make of it as a whole, and what kind of score do you give it, man? I I enjoyed it overall. I thought it was a fun movie. I thought it was. You know, it was it was a you know a intense you know run. It you know it wasn't easy to get through. Sometimes, I, honestly, I was bored at a couple points just because this movie is very long and it has some slow points. That's just me. That's not necessarily a a you know a a hit at the movie. It's just just me and my attention span, which is very short. But I I overall I enjoyed it. I had some critiques i had some problems with it i think i pretty much laid all those out here on the show um and overall i think i think it's a good film i'm looking forward to seeing where it all fits in because i'm only getting part of the story and i don't feel like i can properly like judge it all just because i haven't seen it all so i'm gonna give it i'm gonna give it a 7.5 as my planet score a seven and a half, is that what I got from you? Yep. A seven and a half. Okay. Um I I definitely get where you're coming from. But I also like also have the context of the other films mm-hmm. that <laughs> that I'm basing some of this on. And maybe it has to do with the fact that the tone kind of shifts when you get to the other two movies. Um it becomes a little bit more intentional. It becomes a little bit more uh, intense to a certain degree. And so um, this is like the only one that feels super adventurous to me. Hmm. Every, everything else is more story driven. It's more action driven. And I liked the sense of adventure. I liked the whimsical adventurous nature of this film Granted, it took a few twists and turns, and it took a while to get where it was going. And I definitely get that as a critique. It's like two hours and 49 minutes long, and it probably could have been two hours and 15 if they decided to cut a few things. And I get that. I'm I, I'm pretty happy with the way it turned out, and I enjoyed a lot of the elements. The acting, the the visuals, we talked about those a little bit. I enjoyed the the adventurous nature. I enjoyed seeing all the different sceneries that we did, from forests to open plains to elven towns to uh, just all these different locations that they've brought us to. It felt like you were getting a, a good taste of Middle-earth. And uh, it, it had some really well-choreographed fight scenes. So, I mean, basing it, off of all of that and the fact that there are probably more scenes that are true to the book in this movie than what you're going to find in the other two movies, 
this one's probably going to have the highest score out of all of the ones that I'm reviewing from here on out. And it's going to get an even nine from me. Wow. Great. I I really, really like this movie. I don't remember what scores I gave to the Lord of the Rings movies. I'm pretty sure they were all nines or above. So this is still not better than the Lord of the Rings movies. But I consider it to be the best of the three Hobbit movies. And I'm really curious to see if your score increases as mine decreases, because maybe the types of stories that they tell and the time that they take telling them will better appeal to you from a cinematic perspective, Mm -hmm. but they might not appeal to me from a book and storytelling perspective. I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I I aimed kind of low. I mean, seven is pretty low for me. I'm not saying I, I hate this movie at all, but, you know, it is kind of a lower score, so... But I'm looking forward to that improving. Well, hopefully it does. And who knows? Maybe we'll have to like rescore things at the end of the trilogy just to see if you know our comprehensive look at everything affects the way we feel about the previous movies that we watched. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Because yeah. it's been a while since I've seen Desolation of Smaug, and it's been a while since I've seen Battle of the Five Armies. I usually just kind of watch Unexpected Journey and then call it. And I'm like, okay, that was that was my Hobbit fun. Uh, I'm not going to spend as much time on the other ones. So uh, I'm glad that we're doing this so I have the opportunity to be a little bit more deliberate with my movie watching. Definitely. Uh, that deliberate nature comes thanks to you guys as listeners. You inspire us. You motivate us. You convince us that these are things worth looking into and things worth discussing here on the program. And a big thank you in that regard comes to our patrons. Uh, you guys are the ones that help keep the lights on, that keep things going, that keep us subscribed to our host site Podbean and keep everything integrated through there. So a big special thank you to the likes of Joey Mays, Katie Horn, Jake Damon, Rachel Perry, Dan Grievous, and Parker Ott. You guys keep us going. And we could not do what we do without you. If you want to become a patron on the program here, just go find us at patron.podbean.com forward slash IPC podcast. It's got a list of all the different things that we have to offer as far as exclusive benefits are concerned. It includes a special R-rated podcast that is limited to patrons only. It includes special access to be able to be in direct communication with us rather than just talking to us on social media. Uh, it involves being a top five sponsor. We've got top five episodes, and if you want to sponsor that and join us on that episode, get top billing for your lists on that episode, then you've got it. And it ranges everywhere from just $1 to $5 a month. So it's not a whole lot, but it does make a whole lot of difference for us as podcasters. We just like I a said, little bit, you guys can help us out a great deal. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That little bit goes a really, really long way. We've learned how to stretch it out and maximize that dollar. And uh, we're we're doing some pretty cool things. We're doing some pretty awesome things. And if you want to just make like a, a one-time contribution and get some pretty cool benefits from that one-time deal, uh, we also have some swag available. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast. We've got shirts. We've got hoodies. We've got uh, coffee mugs. 
We've got pillows for crying out loud. We've got stickers, one of which I'm using on my laptop that I'm broadcasting from. There's a lot of really cool stuff if you go there and uh, it's pretty reasonably priced and about 15% of whatever you purchase goes right back to IPC. So mm-hmm. go go find that at tpublic.com slash user slash IPC podcast and help yourself to some awesome swag as well. I mentioned social media. Go find us on all those social media at IPC Podcast, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also follow us personally. You can find me at ZAC underscore DFW across all platforms. And you can find Ben on all platforms as well at Ben Hart with no E. And a reminder that you can find recent episodes on the Star Wars Underworld website, StarWarsUnderworld.com. And it's also your source for the latest news, rumors, release dates, casting informations, and more from the galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. I'm a little out of breath. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to get in, but we do it just as friendly reminders. We probably need to include uh, the plug to T Public in the show notes, just so I don't forget it next time. But yeah, uh, I, I thought that was in there, but maybe not. It may have been in a previous one, and it just didn't make the transition over. Yeah, because I do, like, copy and paste the notes from, like, the last week into the next week, and sometimes things get lost. Yeah, it happens. But I'm not going to worry about it, because I got it in, and we've still got one more element that we need to talk about before we call it a night. And I've got to say, I'm pretty excited about this. We're not just winging it. We're not just shooting from the hip like we do sometimes with this segment. This one is carrying a little bit of weight to it. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, get out your hashtags. Put them in the chat if you're listening live, which I guarantee that you're not this week. But if you're listening through Podbean or iTunes or Google Play, put it on social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and anything else that might carry a hashtag. Because it's time for that IPC famous hashtag, the only podcast that is using this hashtag currently. It's time for hashtag BBQ Watch. Barbecue. 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 So, okay, so this is something that I've had in my mind for a while now, and something I recently ate. Yes, this is a review. This is a review thing. This is it's a food review time. We I do that probably some... like, what, once every month or two, probably? Yeah, yeah. We don't do it enough, honestly. Um, I just I just don't eat enough barbecue, as heretical as that sounds. I know, I know, I know. This is something that I hope we can come back to at some point. Um, but I did want to kind of run through it really quick and explain what it is and explain why you need to go out and get one for yourself. So, apparently Subway has been testing some new stuff. Specifically, a new barbecue-themed product, and it's called the Pulled Pork Crunch, and I think it can be on a bun, but the version that I got was in a wrap form, and so Pulled Pork Crunch wrap, 
And what this thing is, of course, I, I'm to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of Subway, to be quite honest. I get the meatball sub and a couple of the sandwiches. I've gotten it over the years. I'm not like I don't I'm I'm kind of gotten tired of it to be honest. But this <laughs> has gotten me falling back in love with Subway. Seriously, this is a great thing. Um and I hope they keep it on the menu. So basically what this is is you have a tortilla and you're not, uh-huh. I'm not talking about a small tortilla. I'm talking about like Oh no, I've I've seen their wraps. Yeah, they're like, like they're like Chipotle-sized burrito yeah, wraps. Yeah, like I'm talking like the, the diameter of a basketball like, you know, like big tortillas. So you yeah. got your tortilla, you get a big scoop of pulled pork. And on top of that, you get some of course you can add stuff to it, but one of the things that kind of comes with it is Fritos. So you put Fritos oh, that's, in them. That's the crunch that they put in there? That's the crunch. There you go. So you get the crunch from the Fritos, and then you can add anything else. What I added was onions. So oh, that's got, that's added crunch. Yeah, there you go. So you got kind of the you know the sweetness. You can add barbecue sauce to it, which I also did that, and and so they they seal it up and they put it. You know they don't seal it up like in a burrito form. They don't roll it up. They do one corner, one corner, one corner, four corners. Put it up. It's like in a square, and then they cut it kind of diagonally. So you have this kind of it's a weird thing where it's kind of this triangular pieces. Of a sandwich, but it's a, but it's a wrap. It's really weird, but it's great. It's great. You got the, it's great. I mean, and fast food. We all we all know the McRib. We all know the fast food barbecue. Sometimes it's good. A lot of times it's not. This is actually really good, and it's got really great pulled pork mixed with the Fritos, and it's got a really great you know texture. The uh, the crunch is there. You got the onions. You can add anything else you want really to it. It's really great, and I highly recommend it. I I hope more of you guys can actually give it a shot, and maybe they'll put it on the menu because I just found my new favorite item in Subway. Well, so when you said that it was a crunch, I was originally thinking the onion strings that you find on green bean casseroles. And I don't uh, yeah. know why that was the first thing that came to mind. Because, honestly, Fritos sounds a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah. Fritos make anything better, but especially this. Oh, totally. I mean, you put it on chili, all of a sudden you got Frito pie. It's the best thing ever. Heck, yeah. I think this actually comes with um, chili. I think you can put it on, like, you can put chili on it instead of pulled pork. But who wants to do that? Uh, it sounds kind of messy, honestly. Now, let me yeah. let me ask you: is is pulled pork like a staple that you have at your subways, as far as like your meat selections is concerned? I am not aware that it's. Been or is an it option. like a is it is it like a new thing because of the pulled pork crunch wrap? I think it's a kind of a new thing. I think. I don't okay. think they normally have it. This is kind of a new thing they're kind of advertising. I actually had trouble finding it online. They're really not advertising it that well, but they have it in the stores. Interesting. Because, I mean, did you know that Subway is now the largest fast food chain in the States? Really? Uh, a new study came out about a year or two ago that said there are more hole-in-the-wall 
Subway joints than there are McDonald's. That is crazy. I mean, you can fit a Subway into like a, a strip center. You can fit it into a shopping mall. You can, you know, basically stash a Subway just about anywhere you want to because it doesn't take up a whole lot of space. Yeah, honestly. that's the thing with Subway. It's like McDonald's, like they will they will build new McDonald's or even Burger Kings. Like they'll build them. But with Subway, they don't build their own buildings most of the time. It's mostly just like they just take over an old building, an old Taco yep. Bell or whatever, like, and they'll yeah. just insert themselves. And you know, I'm, I'm that's got to help with like being able to expand and you know not as much money you know in actually. Oh no, yeah, because because then you're you're putting your funds towards like your food and your employees rather than building a new development. Like most of the ones around here exist in like a like a strip center or something, and so they've just like rented out one of the areas, just a couple hundred square feet or something like that. Like it's probably never more than six or seven hundred square feet, honestly. Yeah, and that's the entirety of the restaurant. That's it, and you just go in, you get your sandwiches, you're done. And they've also discontinued the five dollar footlong. Oh, really? It's not a national thing anymore. There are some regional stores that can do it as a promotional thing if they want to, but it's not a company mandate anymore. There's no such thing as a universal five dollar footlong anymore. Oh, the, those savages! They, that was a I classic. Know. I know. It's it's a it's a sad sad thing. But on the bright side, they are experimenting with new foods like the pulled pork crunch. So. I'm going to have to give this a shot so I can give a more detailed review of it myself. Mm-hmm. I always I'm I'm always looking for new ways to mix mix things up because I I've kind of grown stale with my subway selection as well. It's usually like black forest ham cuz that's the cheapest meat and then I just load it up on different veggies and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big fan of olives and I'm a big fan of uh pickles. And uh, I don't really vary too much with my other sauces and things like that. So the thing that I've tried doing differently is I've tried replacing my pickles with cucumbers. Oh. Just to get a different taste and to get a different crunch, like a different texture mixed up in there, up in there. But that's how bold I am. You know, that's how adventurous I am. My Subway sandwiches don't have pickles any longer. I decided to try something daring. I added cucumbers. <laughs> you see how adventurous we can be here on IPC. I mean, that's that's the extent of my adventurous nature. And honestly, that's about the extent of what I can put forth with this particular sandwich. Because until I try it for myself, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, like I said, I want to follow up on it. I want to get one myself again before they probably will discontinue it and because they that's what all the good limited time only things usually disappear so yep. um i'm looking forward to that and we'll we'll, we'll, we'll bring it up on another on a future show are you are you gonna get it on actual bread this time or are you gonna try it in a wrap again that's the thing i'm kind of like i want to try it in bread but i also like really liked it as a wrap so kind of torn well, the the versatility and the possibilities never cease to amaze. Just yeah. like the versatility of topics that we can have here on this podcast. We're over 200 episodes in, 
And we're already working on our 2019 schedule, if you folks can believe that. We're just starting October of 2018, and we're already looking ahead to what 2019 has to offer. And believe me, it's got a lot of really good stuff. Insane. Well, we're not going to look too far ahead just yet, because we've still got a couple more Hobbit movies to discuss and a couple of more... Uh, other installments of other universes that we've been talking about this year, (coughs) Harry Potter, (coughs) we're going to be going back to those places in just a little bit, but until then, just stay tuned for the Desolation of Smaug and the Battle of the Five Armies. That discussion will be continuing in the next couple of weeks, but for now, I think it's time to put this one to bed, wouldn't you say, Ben? I think it's definitely time for that and to put ourselves to bed. Because yes. it's gotten very late. But, I'm uh, definitely putting myself to bed, that's for sure. <laughs> I can see my bed from here, and it's calling me. It's calling me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Out to, calling out to me as well. So if you made it this far with us over two hours into this discussion, thank you so much for sticking around with us, and we hope that you'll stick around for the entirety of next week's episode. But I do believe it's time to call it. Episode 208 is now officially in the books. For Benjamin Hart, I'm Zach Arnold. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of IPC. We hope you tune in next week. But until then, we just want to leave you with this closing thought. A failure in planning is a plan for failure. And we hope that you plan to join us next week on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. The misty mountains cold To dungeons deep And caverns old We must away A break of day Like torches blazed with light.